Yes, so it's Joel chapter 2, continuing from where we finished last week, verses 18 to the end of the chapter. Those of you that are using the church Bibles, you can find that on page 914. Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea and its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea, and its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten, the great locusts, the young locusts, the other locusts, and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion, and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Lord, pray that you'll give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to be changed by your word. Amen. Absolutely. Do please keep that passage open in front of you, because uh, that's the bit that we're going to be looking at together. 
Now, uh, I don't know if you've seen the new uh, TV programme, The Toy Hospital. Have you seen this? It's like the repair shop, if you've seen that, but just for toys, kind of the bit that really pulls on the heartstrings. Let's make a whole show about that. So you bring in your, your battered old teddy, baggy and a bit loose at the seams, very well loved, and the good doctors and nurses at the toy hospital restore it to full health again so that it is good as new. Now, I don't know about you, I'm a bit of a sucker for things like this because we, we love that idea, don't we, that a broken thing can be fixed. We love that, the idea of an old thing being restored or a sad thing being healed. When disaster strikes, we just can't wait for it to be done and, and undone, to have the clean-up operation begin and for that to be completed. And that must have been what the people of Joel's day were longing for. They were experiencing disaster when they complete an utter disaster. We saw last week about how swarms of locusts had overtaken the land. They had destroyed everything. All the crops were gone. And this wasn't like when, you know, slugs attack your cucumbers in the garden as they sometimes do. You know, if our veg patch fails, We'll just go to co-op instead, that's fine. But for them, this was complete famine. The supermarkets stripped bare. It was devastating. And Joel said that time that it was a judgment from God. Now, we can't say that about every bad thing that happens, but on God's authority, we were told that those locusts were a judgment from God. And what's more, Joel chapter 1, verse 15 it was going to get worse. As he says, alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. So there is worse judgment to come on the final day. This was looking incredibly bleak for those people then. The future, if there was going to be a future at all, was a disaster. Can this battered old thing ever be restored? Is there any comeback for them? But then we saw a little spark of hope, didn't we? In chapter 1, verse 12, when it says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Even now, God says, it's not too late. Turn back to God. And that's where we ended it last time, with a bit of a cliffhanger, really. Is God going to hear their cries? Is God going to help them? Is the situation beyond repair? Well, this morning we're thinking about restoration what that looked like for them and what that might look like for us now. We'll see there's, there's three bits to restoration, to full restoration. And that means there's two ways for us to respond. So the fir first bit of restoration that's needed is the judgment <coughs> removed. The judgment removed. What they needed restoring from was the impact of God's judgment on them. So there's no hope of a new start unless judgment is removed. So after all the locusts and famine and fire and drought and everything, let verse 18 come to you like cold water on a hot day. And it says, Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. What a relief that is. What a wonderful word that is, that, that in the midst of judgment, with more to come, they cried out in verse 17, spare your people, Lord. And he did. He spared them by removing judgment from them. So I suppose if you take nothing else from today, if you're going to fall asleep, um, take this. When we cry out to the Lord for mercy, 
he removes the judgments. And we see him doing that in verse 20, when God says, I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. Drive that northern horde. Uh, if you read the, the ESV, it says, I will remove the northerner. Now, God isn't promising anyone born north of Watford Gap is going to be uh, escorted off the premises. In the Bible, the north was often where trouble started. Invasions tended to come from the north. Jeremiah talks a bit about disaster looming from the north. So in the end, northerner became a sort of shorthand way of saying troublemaker. A bit like it is for us today. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but that, that's the kind of idea here, that, that to remove the northern horde, to, to take away the northerner, is to take away whatever is causing the grief. And in this time, it's, it's the locusts who probably did come in from the north. And they're, they're described like an invasion. We had a lot of that last week, but it's even clearer. Verse 25 of our passage, when the Lord calls those locusts, my great army that I sent among you. So the Lord had sent this great army, but in response to their prayers, God switches sides, becomes Judah's ally in a war against the locusts. He drives them out. Verse 20 talks about them in their ranks, sort of soldiers, the ones at the front, the ones in the rear, and says all of that is going to be destroyed. He's going to drive them out of the land, some into the desert, some into the sea. After the plague of locusts in Egypt, God sent a strong wind to blow the swarms away. Presumably that's what's going to happen here. And when locusts get blown out to sea, they've got nowhere to land. And so they just die and then tend to get washed up on the beach. And the smell along the shore from all these rotting dead locusts, it's disgusting. And, and the end of verse 20 says that. It says its stench will go up, its smell will rise. And you might not think that's a very good thing. That sounds gross. But when that smell wafts inland and everyone's holding their noses and trying not to be sick they would go isn't that fantastic isn't that fantastic those locusts are not coming back they are dead and gone they are utterly defeated that judgment that god has sent has now been removed in a sense it's been transferred it's now not coming on them it's coming on the locusts all because god has had pity on them he has this fierce jealous love for his people and so he takes that judgment away now sometimes I think we can worry can't we that God is somehow disinterested that he doesn't really care that he might do certain things but he doesn't actually really care well that is not true when his people cry out to him when they cry out to him because they are receiving what they deserve he has pity he shows compassion. He's moved to do something. And so he removes the judgment from them. That is a wonderful start, isn't it? And it is just the start. In verse 14, back in last week's passage, Joel asked, Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. And we've seen in that first bit that, that, that he's relented. He's turned away from his anger. But now... We see what he does next, which is the blessing restored. So he does turn and relent and leaves behind a blessing. He doesn't just sort of remove the judgment and then say, right, you're now at zero. You're now back to nothing. He then pours out his blessing on them. So verse 19, 
The Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. I am sending it. It is in the post. It will be with you soon. And this is full of promises. This whole section over and over, God is saying, I will, I will do this. I will do that. I will do this for you. Restoring the blessing, totally undoing the nightmare of the previous section. So back in chapter 1 verse 10, we're told that grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, the olive oil fails, but now all those things are back in abundance. So look at chapter 2 verse 24. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. So from nothing to you now open your fridge and it is like sort of one of those EU food mountains. That sort of, it's just blessing in abundance, colossal, colossal blessing. The people return to the Lord and so the Lord returns to them. Now remember in, in the old covenant, disobedience was met with cursing and locusts and things like that. That was how it worked in the old covenant and faithfulness brought prosperity. So in Deuteronomy 11, it says this, If you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your corn, new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. So the people had broken the covenant with God but when they repent and turn back to him, God blesses them again. He brings all the blessings of the covenant as if they had kept it. So, so when they'd walked away, the streams of water dried up. And when they turn back to him, have a look at verse 23 of our passage, where it says, He sends you the abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. Exactly as he promised to do. Now we tend to not particularly like the rain. But again, how much we need it. And for them, it saved their lives. It turned their things from the brink of starvation until the bounty of, of things like verse 26, where it says, you will have plenty to eat until you are full. The idea of having anything to eat, let alone mean plenty, let alone that lovely feeling of having to undo a notch on, the, on, your, on your belt a little bit just because you've eaten too much. That is what it's going to be like. It won't just be the locusts who've devoured everything. The people are going to feast. By returning to the Lord, they had stepped back into that place of blessing. It is an amazing turnaround. If you were here last week, this is not what, perhaps what we were expecting. We've seen such devastation and now such amazing blessing. In the judgment all of God's blessings, it was as if they'd been sort of thrown in the wood chipper and chewed up and spat out in the back. So verse 3 talked about it being like the Garden of Eden in front of them and then once it's gone past it is a, is a desert. But now see what it's like. Have a look at verse 22. The pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches and there are phrases in there that only come up in one other place in the bible and that's genesis 1 
as things take fruit and start to become green and start to come to life. God is making the world again, so it is very good again. What a great promise of blessing. Which begs the question, doesn't it, when? When is God going to do all of this? Now, in the first place, it's about the recovery straight after the locusts have been. God is going to come in like rent-a-kill. He's going to get rid of their infestation problem. And then he's going to make good all of the damage. And he did do that. But there are some of the promises here, like that Eden thing, which sort of hint that there's something more than just that. So, so in verse 19, verse 26, verse 27, it doesn't just say his people won't be ashamed. It says never again will they be put to shame. That is a permanent thing, isn't it? But God's people did face shame again. And as Christians today, we face shame all the time for being his people. These never agains of God's promise, they're, they're pointing to something eternal, something forever. So there was a partial fulfillment of this straight away, amazing abundance. But there's a complete fulfillment in the future. Just like we had the locusts when they came, that was a foreshadowing of the coming day of the Lord. So now the clear up after the locusts is, is a taster of just how good it will be in the life to come. This is a wonderful picture of life in the new creation, that idea of things yielding their riches again, of, of spring coming again after winter, of joy coming again. When judgment has been and gone, when everything that makes life painful is done away with, all of our disappointment and boredom and heartache and sickness and fear is driven away, drowned in the sea. God's judgment on our sins will be completely removed from us. We will not see it. We will not experience it. We will not even feel any lingering effects of the curse that's impacted this whole world because Jesus will remove it from us as far as the east is from the west and will restore the blessing. Now, we aren't promised health and prosperity this side of heaven, but we are absolutely promised it in the life to come. This is not an otherworldly sort of invisible spiritual kind of thing. This is a feast, isn't it? With wine, with plenty of food, a restored creation. Where verse 25 will be fully enjoyed. Hear this promise from the Lord. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Isn't that a glorious promise to say, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. That's insurance language. Full compensation. Now our TV at home was a hand-me-down from my granny's old lounge. We've had it for many years and we just discovered that it's still covered by the insurance that they took out on it uh, years ago. My, I think my dad set up some insurance on it or something and I think he's been paying, you know, a pound a month for the last <laughs> 15 years or something and uh, and it's still covered we are valued members of the whatever happens club apparently um, so whatever happens to this tv if anything even remotely goes wrong with it and it, there are things going wrong with it then they will fix it and replace it and upgrade it if necessary we need to actually pull our finger out and do something about it but 
Isn't that a great thing to suddenly discover? You are a valued member of the Whatever Happens Club. Well, this is so much better, isn't it? God's guarantee to us to say, I will repay you. I will refund you. I will fully compensate you. I will upgrade you. I will sort all of this out for everything that the locusts have destroyed. He will make good. Think about your life, the damage that's been done to it, the knocks that you've taken, all the pain and disappointment that take their toll. And we come to God with this husk of a thing and he promises us one day he will restore it. He will more than make up for it. He will replace everything that we've lost. He will heal every hurt. He will wipe every tear away. Every cost, every injury paid back. The wasted years will not be wasted at all. They'll be redeemed. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. So if I could jump ahead to to application, just think about the difference this should make now. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, in a sense, I shouldn't have to tell you to do that. That is a joyful thing already, isn't it? But God commands us here to rejoice. Verse 21 Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Verse 23. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. Verse 26. You will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. All these different groups last week who were told to weep are now commanded to rejoice. All the tears turn to hallelujahs. Now, things haven't changed yet. This is all stuff God says he will do. And yet he says to rejoice now, because surely the Lord has done great things. He has, hasn't he? Do not be afraid. Let's think of the things that we worry about. We're being told we don't need to fear, because even if it does all go wrong, he will repay us. He will restore it. The things that bring us down, he's saying, need not be discouraged. The things that make us ashamed, we will not be shamed again. So we should take heart, be glad because of God's plans for us. Rejoice in the Lord. Because he is the greatest blessing of all this. The climax of this in verse 27 is not the grain and wine and the locusts gone. It's this, then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Knowing him for absolute certain is the best part of it. Praising only him, rejoicing just in him. So back in verse 17, the nations were mocking, where is their God? And we've got the answer. He's with his people. And we're going to be satisfied rejoice. I hope you can feel a little bit of what Joel's first hearers might have felt, knowing the locusts are going to be gone, good times around the corner. But for the full restoration to take place, the people themselves needed to be changed. And that's what Joel points to from verse 28 onwards, because restoration requires the spirit received. The Spirit received. God promises to restore his people by giving them his Holy Spirit. So let's read verse 28 and 29 again. And afterwards, 
I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So first God sends the rains and then he pours out, drenches us with himself, with his Holy Spirit. Now that is an amazing promise, isn't it? Pouring out himself upon us. The Spirit has always been God. The Holy Spirit has always been at work in the world. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit was only given to certain people at certain times to do certain jobs. So a king might be anointed by the Spirit so that they could lead. Or or the judges were given the Holy Spirit so they had the power to rescue the people. The prophets, most obviously, had the Spirit by whom they spoke God's Word. But that wasn't the normal experience for every believer. So back in Numbers chapter 11, Moses says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And here in Joel, God says that's exactly what he will do. He will pour out his spirit on all people. Now, that doesn't mean all people without exception, everybody on the planet. It means all people without distinction. So every one of God's people will receive the Spirit, whether they are sons or daughters, old, young, rich or poor. I think that's what the even on the servants bid is getting at. Whatever your class, status, job is, those things that often divide us will be no barrier to God's Spirit. God is going to make himself known, pour himself out on all kinds of people. It says dreams and visions. That's a sort of Bible shorthand for how God revealed himself to the prophets. It comes up a few times that that's how he revealed himself to the prophets, through dreams and visions. And then we're told that will be for every believer. Now, when is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? Well, Joel says it's going to happen afterwards, after presumably after the locusts have been gone and the land's been fixed. But this is going to happen before the final judgment day. So see in verse 31, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So sometime between Joel and the end of the world, this is going to happen. We can be a bit more specific than that because we know exactly when it happened in Acts chapter 2. So if you could flip ahead to Acts chapter 2, that's page 1000. And 93. I don't often get you flipping ahead or flipping backwards, but we take, make the most of it today. 1093, Acts chapter 2. Now, Acts uh, begins with the Lord Jesus telling his followers that their job is to be his witnesses from where they are, spreading out with the good news all over the world. That is their job. And then he ascends to heaven and they're left to wait. Until we get to Acts chapter 2, when Jesus sends his Holy Spirit. And for the first time, ordinary men and women, all of them who were gathered there, receive the Spirit. And immediately they start doing what Jesus said they would do, being his witnesses. They all start speaking about him. And they do that in an amazing way, using languages they didn't know a minute ago. It's absolutely amazing. And it makes the crowds wonder what is going on. How do we explain this? And the Apostle Peter says, I can explain it because I've read the book of Joel. 
And I now have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so the Apostle Peter tells them what's happening. Acts chapter 2, verse 16. He says, no, no, it's not, we're not drunk. We're not, this isn't any of that. He says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So when the timid little group of Christians meeting in a room suddenly become bold evangelists, Peter says, yes, God is doing Joel chapter 2. It's really interesting. When they receive the Spirit, they don't actually have dreams or visions. They just immediately prophesy. Verse 11, they declare the wonders of God. What happens at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit comes and Peter gives a sermon. <laughs> Christians become Jesus' witnesses. They get on with the task that he'd given them to do. As people come to know God... And as people make him known, Joel chapter 2 is coming true. Ever since that day, all believers in Jesus received the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian here today, this has happened to you. God has poured out his Spirit on you to give you life, to restore you, to make you what you were meant to be, to equip you to do what he's called you to do. So that you can know him. So that you can make him known. And in that sense, you are a prophet. You are a spirit-empowered proclaimer of God's message. Now, we're not all preachers. We're not all evangelists. We are not all gifted in the same way. This is not saying the Holy Spirit comes and everybody turns out exactly the same. But it is saying that male, female, young, old, rich, poor, by the Spirit, we can know God. And we can help to make him known. That that's the task that's been left to us as a church before the day of the Lord comes. Between now and then is to make the Lord known. And it is coming soon. Joel says this is going to happen afterwards. But in verse 17 of Acts 2, Peter changes afterwards to in the last days. Because he's now saying it's not afterwards, it's now. And it's from now until the end. The day of the Lord is near. Who can endure it? Well, we're given the answer, who can endure it? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is where Peter ends his quote. That is what they needed to hear. When this day of the Lord comes, the only way to be saved is to have called on the name of the Lord. And, and as Peter's sermon goes on, he makes very clear that the name of the Lord is Jesus. All of this relates to Jesus. Joel talks about signs and wonders. And Peter picks it up in verse 22 and saying, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by miracles, wonders and signs. He's saying this is happening. It's happening in the person of Jesus. And so when Peter ends his sermon, he says this in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a great promise that you too 
can know the Lord. You too can be empowered by him, sent out by him, forgiven by him. You as well can experience judgment removed and blessing restored and the spirit received. So call on the Lord. Call on the name of Jesus. To call on the Lord is to cry out to him for rescue. That's where our whole passage began, isn't it? People cry out, spare us, and the Lord takes pity on them. It doesn't matter who you are, we need to call on Jesus. When that verse is quoted in Romans chapter 10, it is to say there is no difference between different types of people, Jew, Gentile, whatever, because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. That is the only way to be safe when judgment comes, to call on the Lord. But this isn't just for newcomers and those who've not done that before. Throughout the Bible, calling on the Lord means to worship him. It comes up lots of times, Genesis, Psalms, 1 Corinthians, to call on the name of the Lord is to trust him and live for him. This is for all of us. Call on the Lord. When disaster strikes, call on the Lord. When you're discouraged, call on the Lord. When it seems like life is beyond repair, call on the Lord. In programs like that toy hospital thing, some of the rubbish people bring in, the absolute tap, and you think it's not worth fixing, is it? The state of that. There's no way, there's hardly any of it left. But somehow this broken sort of bits and pieces are reunited, fully restored with their owners. And Joel is talking about that sort of restoration. All through Christ, through his death on the cross, judgment's removed. Through his coming again, the blessing's restored. Through his gift at Pentecost, the Spirit is received. So let's call on the Lord and rejoice in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that you haven't left us beyond hope, beyond help. We want to thank you that even now, when we return to you, when we call on you, judgment is removed from us. The blessing is restored to us. We thank you for those great promises for the future. We pray that you'd help us to rejoice even now. We thank you so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit by whom we know you, by whom we're equipped, transformed, sent out. And so we want to call on you now. Please forgive us for all our sins. Please restore us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a, uh, a wonderful thing. And it's picked up in this final song that we're going to sing. As morning dawns and evening fades, your name. Uh, and over to the music group. I should just say, if you, uh, while we're just getting ready, that if any of you want to talk further about what you've heard this morning, uh, it's a good opportunity over coffee and tea and... 
other refreshments downstairs. Uh, do feel free to talk to Nathan or anyone else that you know as a Christian here that you can trust to be able to talk to. Uh, don't leave it. Just seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on the name of the Lord.